Would you join me in looking at Acts chapter 15, starting in the first verse? And here Luke is writing in Acts, and he says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Would you join me in prayer as we continue? Father God, we have no idea what your word 
wants to impress upon us this morning, but we ask that as we have read these words and heard them read out loud, and even though they were written years and years ago, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would make them impactful into our life today. Father, there's a lot weighing on our hearts in light of recent circumstances, and we ask that your word would speak truth and goodness and hope and all the things that our heart is longing for right now. Father, we ask that you would um, translate these words into the context of our life and where we need to hear them today. It's by the power of your Spirit and through your Son, Jesus, that we pray this. Amen. Recently, with most anything that I instruct my son, Towns, to do, he responds with the words, Why? And then I try to explain my instructions clearer than I did the first time, or so I thought, and he follows that up with, why? And this may happen for a few more times, and either he'll drop it, or I give him a satisfactory answer, or it just kind of, eventually just something distracts him and we move on. If I relay that scenario to my wife, she will say something like, well, he is your son. And what she means by that is that I'm a person who asks a lot of questions about life. There is a current Hyundai car commercial where the theme of the commercial is question everything and how the designers of the new Hyundai SUV questioned everything throughout the design process. And one time when that commercial came on, my wife was like, you should have been involved in that because that's you. You ask a question about everything. It's true. Even my supervising professor in grad school called me a radical in the fullest sense. And if you know anything about the term radical, it's talking about like a root. And so there's the tip of a root, right? And so he would say, you question everything all the way down to the very tip of whatever it is that you're looking at. It's a common hope among us that our kids won't turn out to be exactly like us because we know a lot of the boneheaded things that we do. Or it's our hope that we won't be exactly like our parents and we know the mistakes that they made and we hope they won't, we won't do the same things. We can all think of things we hope we do differently than our parents, but we often find ourselves doing some of those very same things. But maybe just in new contexts. Just like my son Towns is doing like I do and asking why. We'd like to believe that our way of doing things is better than the ways of those who came before us. But what we end up discovering is that what we, is that we have a bent toward rhyming with the past. That phrase seems to have made a return recently. I've heard it in a variety of different places. It's a phrase often attributed to Mark Twain. And the statement goes, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. The Russian-Ukraine situation is not a direct repeat situation, but it rhymes a lot with history that has happened in that region. COVID-19 is not a direct repeat, but it rhymes a lot with how the 1918 flu pandemic was handled in some areas of the country. And we could probably even point to the situation in our backyard yesterday of it's not the exact same situation, but there's a lot that rhymes from other situations that have happened around the country before. Actions may not be expressed the same as those that came before us, but actions often look eerily similar to those that have happened before. And often there can be this clash between the ways of an older generation and the ways of a newer generation. The clash of determining whose way is better. We encounter a similar situation taking place among the people of the church in Acts 15, where the old and new ways are clashing. 
What we encounter in God's word is that what we do today is always shaped by those who come before us. We are products of history, whether we like it or not. And as followers of Jesus, our life as a worshiper is a result of those who have worshiped before us. Our salvation in Jesus was made known to us by the expressions of faith in Jesus that preceded us. In an increasingly more post-Christian world, where the church and the way of Jesus and God's word is not respected by society as a whole, like it maybe has been in decades past, in an increasingly post-Christian world, it can be tempting to believe that faithfully following Jesus seems pointless. It can especially feel that way when it seems like fewer and fewer people join you in expressing your faith how you do, like we're doing right now by gathering and worshiping on a Sunday morning. But often our perspective of the next generation living faithfully for Jesus can be limited by our own expressions of faith in Jesus. But the good news of God's word is that however the next generation expresses faith, it is always a faith that is adapted from the faith that was passed down to it from previous generations. The next generation's awareness of salvation in Jesus will in some form or fashion be a result of the expression of faith in Jesus that you live out today. Salvation in Jesus is made known to you by the expression of faith that precedes you. Salvation in Jesus is made known to you by the expression of faith that precedes you. A lot of innovations emerged when the world shut down to quarantine for COVID-19 in 2020. The use of porches and outdoor spaces became used by more and more people and I think have continued even today, maybe more so than they were before that time. Communicating and meeting over video, whether that's Zoom or FaceTime or Facebook or any other avenue, happened then, and in a lot of ways, people have continued that as part of their routine of communicating now. People did a lot more at home and didn't drive as much, and some people have continued that pattern even today. While we likely won't continue some of these practices for the reasons that we did them in 2020 or 2021, and that's mostly because they aren't as necessary today as they were then, but some of those practices we will continue. We'll continue them because they have innovated how we do everything else in our life. People can now work and interact with their family without spending as much time driving in between. Meetings don't have to take as long with, without everyone having to meet at a central location. We use our homes for more social interaction than maybe we did before on our decks or porches or patios or sunrooms. We'll continue these practices because they help us maintain something meaningful in life. I think this can be a helpful metaphor for what we see happening in Acts 15. Acts 15 begins by describing a group of Jewish followers of Jesus who are upset that some followers of Jesus in Antioch weren't following the customs laid out in the Law of Moses in the Old Testament of the Bible. This leads to a debate about who is right. And to settle the matter, the church in Antioch sends a delegation to the apostles and the church leaders in Jerusalem to get clarification on the issue. And as the council in Jerusalem considered the question, Peter, one of Jesus' original twelve disciples, addresses the council. Peter recalls an encounter that he had And some scholars say this was upward of 10 years ago that this encounter with Cornelius happens. But Peter recalls this encounter he has with Cornelius and his family, a man from Caesarea. 
And you can read more about that encounter in Acts 10 if you would like to look a little bit more into that situation. But Peter describes how God accepted this man who wasn't a Jew into the family of God. And it was through faith in Jesus alone that this happens. He goes on to say that if God accepted Cornelius and his family as one of God's people without following the ceremonial and signatory customs of the law of Moses, then neither should the Jesus followers in Antioch be required to do so also. Why would we require more than what God requires? And through the leadership of the Apostle James, who is Jesus' half-brother through Mary and Joseph, through James and the rest of the leadership, the council in Acts 15 agrees with Peter's conclusion In the letter that summarizes their conclusion, it notes that the council attributes their conclusion to the Holy Spirit's guidance, meaning they believe their conclusion is in line with what God has done in accepting others as his people, and that is accepting them through faith in Jesus and not adherence to the Mosaic law of the Old Testament, that they are accepted by God because God has sent his spirit to indwell in their life. Not That is now the sign of, of who God's people are, that God's spirit is present with them, not the sign of circumcision as it was before with the Jewish people in the Old Testament. However, this is not the end of their conclusion to the issue. While faith in Jesus was enough to be one of God's people, that's one thing that they conclude. That didn't mean that all customs of the Mosaic Law were useless. This was something I'd never caught on to until looking at this passage this week. I've always caught on to, yeah, Jesus accepts them and that's new and I just kind of, kind of moved on from there. I never caught that there is this, these like requirements that they still place upon these believers. I mean, I've caught them, but never really thought about the meaning of them going forward. And that's kind of where our focus is going to move to here. Being a fan of a sports team involves some specific forms. No one would ever say that they are a serious fan if they never attended or watched or followed a team's performance. That person wouldn't be a serious fan if they never even talked about the team, if they never even mentioned them. Like, how can you be a fan if you don't even, like, if it's not even part of your life in any form or fashion? And that's because fandom isn't formless. Rather, it takes shape and is expressed in very specific ways. It involves tracking a specific team, not just any team, but a specific team. It involves going to a particular stadium or arena, not just any stadium or arena. It means looking up specific team stats, not just random stats of any team. So too, faith in Jesus isn't a formless reality. It's not a generic faith or trust in Jesus. Faith in Jesus takes shape in specific ways. It's faith applied in specific ways in our life. The Apostle James in the concluding letter that is sent out from the council in Acts 15 highlights a list of specific ways that the customs of the Mosaic law can be helpful in shaping how a person expresses faith in Jesus. This list can be seen in verse 29 of Acts 15, and it's also summarized later in the letter. The list of items is abstaining from food sacrificed to idols, abstaining from blood, abstaining from the meat of strangled animals, and abstaining from sexual immorality. Now, I get it. You're probably sitting there going, what does any of that have to do with my life? And what does any of that have to do with me following Jesus? None of those things apply to my life, or at least it seems that way. One way to approach uh, the, this list of items is to see the relatableness of them to um, 
let me say that differently. One way to approach this is, is to reframe this list, to look at it from a different perspective. Scholar Elena Helen Butova notes that the law of Moses could be separated into a couple different categories. One category contains laws regarding ceremonial rituals, as well as laws pertaining to worship in the tabernacle or temple. These laws have to do with maintaining an ethnic separation of the Jewish people from other people groups. But then she says that there's this other category of laws, and that contains laws regarding the natural law of God. These laws have to do with morality that is natural to God's creation. These laws or morals are expectations that God had for people before the Jewish people were ever formed into the people of God by God. These are the morals, if you will, that are present in the scriptures throughout Genesis 1 through 3. The morals that we see laid out for Adam and Eve for humanity to live out as God originally intended it. While these various directives could be analyzed in much deeper fashion, collectively they all point toward at least one overall contrast. That is the contrast between true worship and idolatrous worship. One distinction should be made clear, though. The directives given are not requirements for initiation into Jesus' salvation. That was pretty well laid out in what the council here decided. A way someone is initiated into being one of God's people through Jesus is by faith, not by following all of these different laws. If you want to be initiated into being one of God's people, faith is the avenue through which that happens. Rather, it would be better to see these directives as expressions of what a maturing faith in Jesus looks like. A maturing faith in Jesus looks like a person avoiding expressions of idolatry, which is anything that we allow to occupy ourselves away from our awareness of God and away from living into the life-giving ways that Jesus offers us. Overall, this perspective of these moral directives from the Mosaic Law help us to see why the council discerned it necessary to impress non-Jewish followers of Jesus to still adhere to these items from the Mosaic Law. They're trying to keep them from falling back into idolatry. They're not adding something. They're using it as a form of helping them navigate the culture in which they live in. The Mosaic Law still had meaning and purpose for all followers of Jesus in discerning how to live out their faith in Jesus in everyday life. They are for making a person more like Jesus, just not initiating a person into Jesus' salvation. But that is exactly what the Jewish Christians were trying to do. They were advocating for circumcision and for following all the Mosaic Laws as a means through which a person is saved. But that is not not how it works now. It now works through faith. In Jesus. But the Mosaic laws are still usable to direct us and them toward the morality that God established for humanity to live into before sin entered the world and the Mosaic law was instituted. What we can gather here is that even though the fullness of the Mosaic law was not necessary for a person to embrace salvation, that expression of faith that was followed by Jews for centuries that expression of faith did pave the way for Jesus to come. It wasn't pointless. It had a purpose and a meaning. It paved the way for all people, including non-Jews, to become members of God's people. Our salvation in Jesus was made known to 
those followers of Jesus and to us by the expression of faith that the Jewish people lived out preceding us. By them living out the Mosaic expression of faith, we eventually gain awareness of Jesus and the fullness of salvation that he offers to us from sin and death. Salvation in Jesus is made known to you by the expression of faith that precedes you. Salvation in Jesus is made known to you by the expression of faith that precedes you. For many of you here, you can likely think of the many ways in which your faith in Jesus is expressed differently than those who have come before you. That could be in terms of the music that you worship to or the ways in which you engage God's word. Whereas it used to be more common to look at a paperback version of the Bible and now you use digital versions of that. Or the ways in which you express faith in, in, in Jesus in society between Sundays. There's probably a lot of differences between the one between an older generation and your current generation. As different as the expressions of faith between generations may be, Salvation in Jesus was made known to us by the expressions of faith that preceded us. And the next generation will come to know salvation in Jesus by our expression of faith that will precede them. As different as the expressions of faith between generations may be, the expressions of faith that precede us help to keep our expressions of faith grounded in the life-giving ways of God revealed through the life of Jesus. What we see here is that Acts 15 isn't a license to follow Jesus however we see fit. It's an invitation to follow Jesus according to the discernment and wisdom of those who have followed Jesus before us. In our youth, we are tempted to think, well, we know how to do this better than those who've gone before us. But the wisdom we're gaining from this passage, I think, is that, well, we don't always have the best perspective. We need the wisdom of those who've come before us to help guide us in how we follow and live in the ways of Jesus. And that line goes back to these first followers of Jesus that we encounter in Acts 15, who many directly followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. Acts 15 is about living in healthy relationship with God as we see Jesus doing with his heavenly father. That's the basis for relationship with God. That's what we're striving to to have in our life. As different as the expressions of faith between generations may be, our expressions of faith have been informed and directed by the faith of those who have followed Jesus before us. And the next generation's faith will be informed and directed by the faith that we express as we follow Jesus. Salvation in Jesus is made known to you by the expression of faith that precedes you. Salvation in Jesus is made known to you by the expression of faith that precedes you. Today, if you have never embraced the salvation of Jesus, I invite you to embrace that salvation by expressing faith in Jesus in baptism. I encourage you to set a time with me or any other follower of Jesus here to discuss further what the scriptures have to say about taking that step. If you have already embraced the salvation of Jesus by faith, I invite you to simply praise God. Praise God for his grace. That through the faith of those who have gone before you, you have been made, you have been made aware of salvation in Jesus. Praise God and honor his gift by passing it on to the next generation. Praise God by expressing your faith in Jesus by helping the next generation come to know about salvation from sin and death in and through following Jesus. Older expressions of faith can seem outdated, but they have indeed blessed us, and they have made us aware of the salvation of Jesus. 
Salvation in Jesus is made known to you by the expression of faith that precedes you. Salvation in Jesus is made known to you by the expressions of faith that precedes you. Would you join me in prayer as we close? Father God, we're grateful for those who have gone before us. Whether we're looking at this account in Acts 15 and the followers of Jesus who discerned what it is you were doing in the world and how you invite people to be a part of your family. Father, we're grateful that they discerned that it's through faith in Jesus and that that has been passed down to us today, that we can be a part of your family through faith in your son, Jesus, and living into his ways and your spirit empowering us to live into those ways, the ways that bring us the fullness of life. Father, help us to pass that on to the next generation or to those around us that don't know your salvation, to know what it's like to experience a taste of deliverance from sin and the consequence of sin which leads to death. Father, lead us and guide us in how we live for you throughout this coming week. It's by the power of your Spirit and through your Son, Jesus, that we pray this. Amen.